Welcome to Practical Christian Living. When Jesus had told Peter, Peter, before this night is done, you are going to deny me three times. The good response to Peter would have been, I haven't known you to ever be wrong, Lord. I, I can't see myself denying you, but help me. That would have been the right response. But what did Peter say to Jesus instead? No way, I will not deny you. Jesus calls us to follow him with everything we have. We might fall, sure, and we might blow it. But following Jesus means we are forgiven again and again, and His grace enables us not only to continue following Him, but to grow more and more in love with Him and in obedience to Him. We're learning a lesson today from Peter as we continue with our teaching out of John 21, 1-19. Here's Robert Furrow. As Peter hears it's the Lord, he's kind of a mess here. He puts on his coat. If you watch a movie, you've never seen anybody decide they're going to jump on the water, put on their coat, and then jump in. They take off their coat, and then they jump in. But Simon Peter wasn't going to leave anything in the boat. And also, did you notice the word here? It's a funny word in the Greek. Look at the word plunge, and plunge into the sea. It's a word that means chaos. It wasn't pretty. He didn't jump up on the edge of the boat and do some kind of a swan dive down into the water and then swim to Jesus. When he heard it was Jesus, he grabbed his coat. He just threw himself into the water, landed and started dog paddling. Again, they're only a, less than 100 yards. And he says then, but the other disciples came in the little boat. I think they probably passed Peter on the way. <laughs> we'll see you up there, Peter. I don't know what that was all about, but... We'll see you up there. It reminds me, I had um, a good friend of mine, Ray Carter. You guys may know him. He pastors uh, the Calvary Chapel in Lake Havasu. And I go up every October, me and another buddy from the church here, and we fish with Ray and we talk and it's great fellowship with another Calvary pastor. First time that I ever met Ray was like 25 or 30 years ago. And Ray's a big man, all right? Ray's a big guy. If you guys know Ray, he's big. He's been here and taught for me before. And um, we were on his boat. And he had, his, he had his, his, 50, his fishing pole, his Walmart $15 special fishing pole. Mine are a little bit more expensive than that. I always tell them, mine are fishing rods. Yours are fishing poles, okay? There's a difference. And all of a sudden, a striper hits his, his line and flips his rod into the water. And Ray just, he knocks his hat off, takes one step on the, and just jumps into the water after the, the thing. And me and Mike Shacker, who's a buddy of mine that works here at the church. So me and Mike Shacker just look at each other. We're in Ray's boat and Ray's now gone. He just is under the water and we look at each other. And then Ray pops up with the fishing rod, fighting the fish all the way up. And it reminds me of this experience because I said, Ray's a big guy. It wasn't graceful. All right. <laughs> He, very athletic. I was really surprised, but it was like very athletic, but it wasn't graceful. Then it says, for they were not far from land. So Peter could have just stayed in the boat, right? They rode the boat in. They were far from land. But Peter obviously wanted to go see Jesus. And it says, dragging the net of fish with them because they couldn't bring him in the boat. There are too many fish because they're so large. Then as soon as they came to the land, they saw fire and coals there 
and fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. He's already got fish prepared for them. Now, I wonder how Jesus prepared this breakfast for them by the Sea of Galilee. Did he go out and catch the fish? Did he, you know, bring some grain with him? Did he cook them all? Or did he say breakfast and poof, there it was. I, I don't know that we know, but Jesus wants to eat with them. That's just that, again, that's a sense of dining. We eat breakfast with who we like. Very rarely will we have a meal with someone we don't like. Even more rare will we have a breakfast with someone that we don't like. And so Jesus is fellowshipping with them. He's dining with them here in order to have that fellowship. It says, and then as they were on land, they saw a fire with the coals there. And we can't help but think of Peter. Now, we don't know if this is maybe a couple weeks later, but we can't help but think of Peter at the fire in the courtyard where he denies Jesus. And this is all about Peter. And in verse 10, it says, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. He wants some of those fish up here. And then it says in verse 11, this is an interesting verse. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. In the earlier account where he had caught fish, not caught fish all night, cast his, his net in when Jesus said to, the net broke. Now the net doesn't break as if Jesus were to say, I'm going to make you more effective, Peter. I also want you to notice that Peter's the one who goes and drags the net in. History tells us that Peter was a big man. I don't know what it means to be a big man, a big, strong man. And when Jesus said, bring the fish up here, Peter's like, I got him. Walks over to the water and just grabs him and drags him in. That's what it says. Now, Simon Peter went and dragged the net into land. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. So again, in the post-resurrected body, there is this difference. Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The first time a week later after his resurrection, the second time two weeks later when Downing Thomas was there, now they're at the Sea of Galilee because Jesus told them to go there and meet him there. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now Jesus refers back to his old name. Jesus had given him a new name. The name Simon has its roots in sand. And Jesus gave Simon a new name. No longer will you be called sand, but you are going to be called rock, which is what Peter means. And then Jesus at another point said, and on this Petra, I'm going to build my church. There's three different Greek words. You are Simon, you are sand, but now you are going to be called rock and I'm going to build my church on the Petra. He wasn't saying he was going to build his church on Peter. He built his church on himself. He is the rock. But Peter was changed from Sandy to, to Rocky. Much better name. But now Jesus says, Simon, you're acting like Simon now. You're going back fishing. You're going to go back to your old lifestyle. I've given you a new name, but you're going back to, to Simon. 
And then, he, and then he says, son of Jonah. And that's kind of funny that his dad's name is Jonah. They were both fishermen. Simon has some problems with fish and Jonah had some problems with fish, right? He went and ran and went the other way. Kind of doubled up on Simon, son of Jonah. Yeah. Do you love me more than these? The question here is always, what are the more than these? Jesus had said to them, bring some of the fish up here. He'd already made them breakfast. The fish they were going to eat was already there. Bring some of those fish with you, he said. So maybe he said, Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than that boat? Do you love me more than those nets? Are you going to go back there to fish? He might have been saying, do you love me more than these, meaning the disciples? Because when Jesus had told Peter, Peter, before this night is done, you are going to deny me three times. The good response to Peter would have been, I haven't known you to ever be wrong, Lord. I, I can't see myself denying you, but help me. That would have been the right response. But what did Peter say to Jesus instead? No way. I will not deny you. In essence, he said, Jesus, you're wrong. I won't deny you. The, all these other guys can deny you. Maybe pointed them out. James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, all these guys, they're going to deny I won't deny you. Again, it might have had something to do with his stature. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to deny you. And so when he says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these disciples? Do you love me more than these fish? Maybe even both of them. And Jesus uses the word for love. There's four in the, in the Greek language. There's agape, which is an unconditional love. The Bible tells husbands, love your wives. The word is agape. It means it doesn't have anything to do with feelings. It has everything to do with a decision. Like the great theologian Clint Black said, love is something you do. That's agape. It's something you do. You say, I will love you. It's unconditional. It's interesting to me. I mean, the, the Bible tells everyone in the Bible to love one another, right? It uses the word agape. But directly talking to, to wives, he, it doesn't ever say, wives, agape your husbands. It says, wives, phileo your husbands. That's the word for being fond of. That's the word for kindness. So in other words, it says, husbands, love your wives, agape your wives, unconditionally. Wives, just be nice to your husbands. It's the kind of where God goes, just be nice to them. The Bible also says that wives are to respect their husbands. And I think there's a lot to that. This is not a, a message on marriage, but I think that, that there's something about men and receiving respect and leadership that, that is really helpful in a marriage. And um, so he says to him here, this first word, Simon, do you love me, is agape. It's the love that God loves us with. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he says, Peter, do you agape me? This is the highest love it has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with your commitment. Nothing to do with your feelings. Everything to do with your commitment. Simon, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But the Greek word he responds to is the Greek word phileo, which means I'm fond of you. You're like a friend to me. Peter has lost a lot of the confidence 
Even if these guys deny you, I will never deny you. Now, Peter, do you agape me? Well, you, you know, Lord, now that I phileo you. And I can take just a little bit of a sidebar here. On your phone, you can download a Strong's Concordance app. And there's a free one if you're looking at doing it. You just, just open up your app store, type in Strong's. There's some that you have to pay for, but there's a free one that's there. I use this in my study all the time. When I've got a passage open, I've got my phone open, I've got the concordance open on my phone. When I'm reading this, I, well, I'm interested. What does that word love mean? I open it up, it says agape. I look at Peter's response. I open it up and it says phileo. Th this is one of those great tools that you and I have now where we can do our own Bible study. You can go to whatever book you're interested in. You can begin to read it. You can look at the words. It not only tells you the words, it tells you the roots of the words. And it tells you every time that the word has been used in the Bible, it'll give you a list you scroll down that will give you every single location the word is used in the scriptures. And then it will also tell you how it is translated, whether it's translated love or friendship. And that's the case with phileo. When you go down the list, you see that sometimes it's translated friendship instead of love. This is just kind of a... I wanted to just give you an encouragement to add some tools to your own Bible study and to maybe get excited about stepping out in some topics or maybe some books and doing it on your own because there's a real richness when you can dive in. It used to be that I had to have a Strong's Concordance and an A.T. Roberts word study in my office because I don't know Greek and Hebrew, so I used to have to do all kinds of work during my study of getting things out and cross-referencing and finding them and now it takes me like three seconds per word to be able to look at. So Jesus uses the word. Back to our text. Jesus says, Simon Peter, do you agape me? He says, well, Lord, you know I phileo you. That's a step down. And Jesus says, good enough. Feed my, feed my lambs. I'll take that. Maybe Jesus was happy that Peter was no longer overconfident. Where, where do you think God would want us to be more so? That we would be massively overconfident or that we would be honest with him, just where we are? And so Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And then he says, feed my lambs. He's recommissioning him. You're not going to be a fisherman, Peter. You're going to go out and you're going to feed my lambs. Lambs are young believers. I need people who can, can take new Christians because the gospel is going to go out throughout the world at this point and there needs to be people who can tend the lambs, feed the lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon Peter, do you love me? He said, agape me. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Same response. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Jesus went from the agape word to the phileo word. He says, okay, you've said twice that you phileo me. Do you phileo me? It's as if he even says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you even phileo me? Is this real? Are you really being honest with me? Now we understand Peter's response a little bit better. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you phileo me? Peter's grieved because Jesus has dropped down from agape to phileo, and he said to him, Lord, you know all things. Boy, this failure has done some good things in Peter's life. When Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows, 
Lord, even if they all did, I'll die for you. Even if they all did, I will never. Now he says, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I, and I wish that Peter would have stepped it up here and gone to agape. That wouldn't that be awesome? Lord, you know I agape you. But he doesn't. He says, Lord, you know, you know all things. You know I phileo you. Peter is still full of shame and brokenhearted over his severe public failure. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Then Jesus goes into his death, which I want to talk about why he would do that in a moment. But he says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you were girded. You will girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, they will stretch out your hands. That's a reference to crucifixion. When you are old, Peter, you're going to die for me. Why would, why would Jesus say this to Peter? Because Peter tried to die for him in the garden. When this garrison came, and there were a lot of them, to arrest Jesus, Peter jumped out with a sword and hacked somebody's ear off and was ready to give his life. But Jesus wouldn't let him do it. But he tells Peter now, Peter, listen, you may really be ashamed that you denied me, you didn't give your life for me, but one day they're going to stretch out your hands. They're going to crucify you. When you're old, I've got a plan for you, but when you're old, and then he says, they will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. We know this is in Rome. Peter eventually is crucified in Rome. He's crucified upside down because he requests that he would not be crucified the same way as the Lord. Thus he spoke, signifying by what death he was going to glorify God. He wanted him to know, Peter, you will glorify me by giving your life for me. And when he had spoken these words, he said to him, follow me. This is full circle. What did Jesus say to Peter, James, and John, and Andrew when they were cleaning their nets by the sea? He walked up to him and said, follow me. As they left their nets and they followed him. Here they are three years later and Jesus is like, we're back here again, Peter. Follow me. And of course, we know that Peter began to follow him. Despite this tremendous failure by Peter, Peter is not his failure. And that's important for us to realize. Despite the fact that you and I might fail, we are not our failures. We are who we are in Christ. And I think that we often forget who we are. Let me give you some passages. I got a lot of them. I don't know that I have time to cover them all. But let me give you some passages that tell you who you are in Christ. Get ready to take some quick notes because I'm going over this fast. You are, first of all, you are forgiven. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. No matter the failure, if you confess it, he'll forgive you. Number two, you are free. And I think of Romans 6.18 that says, you are free from sin. Peter was forgiven. Peter was free. Of course, Jesus said, who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. You are righteous, which means that things are made right between you and God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. You are a new creation. You are not who you used to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You are a friend of God. Jesus said, no longer do I call you a servant. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I now call you my friend. 
You were saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You're not saved by any work you do. You're not saved by any merit you have. You are the temple of God. God does not dwell in temples made with hands, but he dwells inside of us. So we are the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 13. This is our call out to this world. We represent him. He chose not to go out and do the work supernaturally, but to call the church that we would do the work that God's called us to do. We are, you are a saint. The word saint means to be set apart. Those of you who have a, a Catholic background, you would go, well, the church has to saint you. I, I don't think the church can set you apart. You're set apart by God. And God says, you're a, you're a saint. You are a child of God, John 1, 12. As many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. Let me run through these without giving you the references. You are a co-worker with God, working alongside of him. You are loved by God. And again, there's myriads of places where God says that he truly loves you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are created in the image of God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are joint heirs with Christ, meaning you get the same inheritance he gets. No wonder Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians and said, you have everything. They, they, they might not have had access to everything, but they had everything. We as Christians have everything. He says, you are delivered from darkness, Colossians 1.13. You have been bought with the price. That's the blood of Jesus. You are a citizen of heaven. You don't even belong here on the earth. You are an alien here, the Bible says. You're, you are an alien passing through a foreign land. Does this land ever seem foreign to any of you guys? It does to me. It's because you're a citizen of heaven. You have God's authority. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. You are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created for good works in Christ. God is doing a work inside of you, creating you to be his workmanship for the good works he's called you to do. Finally, I ended here. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. You fight against the enemy, but you are more than a conqueror. You are Romans 8, 37. You are not your failures. You are all of these things the Bible tells you that you are. And even though you may have failed and feel like I can't offer God much, you've barely begun to scratch the surface because you have the Holy Spirit inside you. You have the call of God in your life. You are the light and salt of the world. You have been given the keys to the kingdom. Understanding who we are and being involved in the kingdom of God will make us much, much more effective. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can consider these things in the life of Peter and Lord, we do now pray that your Holy Spirit would help us, that we would not be overwhelmed with our failures. We know it's not a good thing we failed. We know it would have been better had we not failed. But we also know that you can use anything for your glory. And we pray that you would do that. That we surrender ourselves to you in a new, fresh way. Use us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.